This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Kaurna people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other First Nations people present today. The Adelaide Crows History Locker Hall of Fame Series. Carey lost it, has to fight on, but does so to Burns. Inside 50, Rusciuto. Well done, took the mark inside. He is right in front, so he won't be brought around. And he will surely level the scores. Rusciuto's fourth goal, and it's all tied up. Henschel, Rusciuto, he can line them up from here. Goes toward the goal square. Today's guest is club legend Mark Rusciuto, premiership player, Brownlow medalist and AFL Hall of Famer. In 1997, 21 games, you were All-Australian again that year. We'll just go to a bit of audio and just listen to you reflecting on 1997. One minute you're happy, next minute you're crying. Yeah, look, you, you don't feel part of it at all and you can ask anyone who's been involved in it. You know, you just don't feel part of it unless you play. You know, at the celebrations that night, I went home early and... Uh, I was pretty annoyed for the whole summer, really. Mm. I mean, it wasn't just me. There was Tony Modra, as you said. There was Peter Vardy. There was Matthew Liptak, Simon Jagenza. There was, there was quite a few other players that missed out that year, and I think that was one of the driving forces of helping us win it in 98. How does that sit after, you know, still still a lot of time's passed, but I guess yeah. it's, still, it's still, you know, stings in the guts of missing out? Oh, no, I was a shell of a human. It was probably the first time something had gone wrong in my footy career, missing out. You know, everything... Prior to that, I'd either played in the grand final or uh, played well or not been injured. But a bit of a reality check that things can go wrong. I, I started getting groin injuries halfway through the year uh, in 1997. And um, I think I was leading the Brownlow when I started getting that. So, And then I just, week by week, I got worse and worse. And by, I think, the second last game of the year, I couldn't play. I had a week off and then I tried to come back in the the last week didn't feel any good and I remember being at home on the floor my girlfriend at the time tried to lift me up off the ground and my groins were just excruciating and I said stuff this I can't play this year I've got to go and have an operation so I had the operation got wheelchaired out of hospital on prelim final day when the crows come from 30-odd points down against the Western Bulldogs yep. when little Liver jumped up and thought he kicked a goal <laughs> and he kicked a point and he hadn't and they lost and the Crows had got into a grand final. So what, what an amazing performance by the Crows to go on and win the grand final yep. without um, Tony Modra who won the Coleman medal that year and without me who'd uh, chipped in a little bit along the way. Um, they still could win the game without a couple of their better players that year. Um, but it was a horrible feeling. I ended up going to get a tattoo for 10 hours on my back wow. uh, yep. a few days after they won. I was just, yeah, I didn't know what to think. I was I was a shattered him and I, I dreamt about playing in a uh, premiership and I missed out on it and thought I'll never, I'll never live my dream, but we did. Preparing for 1998 season, I guess, when they come back and you know, I'm a country boy as well. I know how much it means when they do the regional tours with the Cups. I guess that was a, probably another dagger at the time. Did you go away and did you just want to get away from it all? Or did you go back and say, nut stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my head down, I'm going to work harder? Or was it a real, a real um, inconsistent pre-season from that point of view? Look, I think there's, there's always two choices, isn't it? You can spit the chewy and think, poor me, or you can 
get back on the horse, as they say, and, and work harder. And obviously I chose that path, um, did the rehabilitation, you know, had two hernias and two conjoint tendons uh, repaired and had osteitis pubis. So it was a, a big operation and I just chipped away at it um, and, and got fit and I had a pretty good 1998. Um, you know, there was other players like Mods who'd missed out, Mark Stevens, Matthew Liptak, all those guys that uh, you mentioned before that missed out. And we still had a great side. No one was going anywhere. We, we, we knew that 1997, we weren't the best side over the whole year, but we were just the best side in the finals. So we still had improvement to make. Um, and, you know, with all those players missing out, we wanted more premiership success. And at the age of 23, I think you responded in the best way possible. You played 24 out of the 26 games on the way to another All-Australian Guernsey, which is uh, which becomes the norm for the next few years. Um, I guess the relief, or what did you what did you feel um, when the final siren went in 1998? Well, leading into the game, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> Fair dinkum, I, I was real nervous. Um, Blighty took me and Vards off in the prelim final just before the end of the game, just to I think make sure we got there. Yeah, he's he's an unbelievable thinker, Blighty. He's just the best football thinker of all time. I, I hope that's what he took me off for to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. He, I presume that was it. And he knows how passionate me and Vards were. Vards is like a bulldog, you know, come from. Out north, and he was a he was a tough uh, half forward flanker. Another one that you'd want in your side. And Vards had missed out the, the year before with injections in his heels and stuff. But um, so uh, yeah, we couldn't sleep early in the week just just thinking about it, just um, looking forward to it so much. But I think by about Wednesday, I was that tired. I started sleeping well. <laughs> And Blighty had f- absolutely flogged us on the training track for the prior three weeks. It was, we lost to Melbourne in the first week. And then we, we seriously could not have trained any harder for three weeks leading into the granny. And players were panicking that, you know, we'd be cooked and we wouldn't be able to do what we needed to do. But um, we didn't play that well in the first half. And North Melbourne didn't take their chances. I think at the half time it was six goals, 15 to four goals, four at half time and another master stroke by Blighty could have come in and just absolutely ripped to shreds off the players. Not that we did anything wrong. We just hadn't yep. played that well. Um, but he didn't, he come in and said, guys, you've done nothing wrong and you're still within striking distance. You know how fit you are. Just go out there and take it on. Every time you get the ball, just play on, run them off your legs. You're super fit. Um, one thing that I'll never forget, go and if you ever watch the replay, halfway through the third quarter, Bruce McAvaney, uh, you know, the best commentator yep. ever says, it l- looks like these guys have changed jumpers. Um, they're back. They're back. <laughs> uh, and we just run over the top of them. And in this uh, one instance was Mark Stevens taking a mark in the middle of the ground. He just grabbed the ball and played on and, and uh, it was just a masterstroke by Blighty. Just go out there and take them on. And I remember going at it to the start of the third quarter, going from feel like we had no hope coming off the ground at half time, to somehow Blighty turning us into thinking we're favourites to win this. Yep. And we just went out there and t- took the game on and uh, end up having a huge second half and ran away with it. But yeah, after the game, um, oh, I just I didn't know what to think. Just. You live in your dream. Just soak it up. 
Around a mark. Mark, last year you missed out, but uh, you finally got one, buddy. Yeah, I'll make up for it this year. It was just a great game today. We've been we've had great second halves all year, and we're, we come from behind again today, and it's just a great effort. What was said at half time? Oh, we had a lot of players down in the first half, and North Melbourne didn't put us away, so we knew if we got into top gear that we'd, we'd be a chance to run over them, and it's just a credit to everyone. We've played as a team all year, and we got the results today. That's back-to-back -back with the hardest things to do. Yeah, I think about time we earned some respect from the Victorians, and uh, uh, we've had a big year on the road this year, and we're going to keep it going next year. Well played, and congratulations, mate. Thanks, Dimmer. And we think in that game as well, there's a story. Rennie threw his um, threw his mattress off that it was on the side of his leg as well, wasn't it, at the yeah, I time? I think that was in the. I think no, that might have been in 1997. He did that, uh, Rennie, but he had a huge uh, part to play in both those premierships. Rennie was. I've never met a bloke more passionate about. Um, anything he's passionate about, uh, yep. and that was the Adelaide Football Club, and um, he had a huge impact, and um, yeah, was just instrumental in both premierships. A big fella. Malcolm Blight came in for three years, and he won two premierships. As you mentioned, so much effort went into the first two years. Then in 1999, there seemed to be a real letdown. There's no doubt. Uh, one of the things that stop um, good sides in their tracks is the hunger or the desire you know you can you can be fulfilled in life can't you you can yep. live your dream you can lose that edge all those little things uh happen to anyone um at any stage in life in whatever industry you're in whether it's football business or whatever um and if once you lose that edge yeah you know, you're as good as over if yep. you're if you're a jockey and you don't take that split in the in the dangerous part of the straight or if in the middle of summer when no one's watching you, you won't go for that run when you're, when you're training with footy or yep. you won't do those extras or if you're a business owner, you don't put in those extra hours. That's the difference between being good and great and you don't win good uh, premierships when you're good. So had Blighty achieved his goals? Probably. Had I achieved my goal of being a premiership player? Yep. Um, had the, a lot of the other players you know, just exceeded their expectations of their careers, probably. And were we the best side anyway in 97, 98 over the whole year? We're probably not. We needed to be super fit, on the edge, doing everything to win the premierships in 97 and 98, and we did that. And were we willing to do it again in 99 and uh, 1999? Probably not, and that's why we slipped out pretty quick. In 2001, you became captain of the club. Um, I guess at the time, is it something you aspired to do? I guess naturally the way you played, you were, you were always a leader anyway. Um, and I guess were you ready for it at the time? Well, I was never a captain in underage sides because probably, as you know, in the country, you're always playing out of your age group. So, yep. um, no, I was always playing in my brother's sides or in you know in men's sides way before my time. So I never sort of experienced um, being a, a captain um, other than in sort of representative sides or whatever. But, um, yeah, oh, to be a captain of the Crows was unbelievable. They th threw me into being the um, vice-captain in, in 1997 and I loved it. Um, I was... I was Passionate and driven and hungry from a from a young age. I dreamt of playing AFL footy. Um, so, um, yeah, when the opportunity came, I certainly wasn't um, thinking about it. I was saying yes pretty quickly. <laughs> Let's go back and listen to another special part of your life. Adelaide, M. Rusciuto, one vote. Collingwood, N. Buckley, one vote. 
Sydney, a good There is a three-way tie for the Brownlow medal, A. Goods, M. Rusciuto and M. Buckley. This really is a dream. I can't believe I'm up here. I'm, I'm probably more nervous than I've been for uh, in my whole lifetime, but uh, yeah, I'm bloody glad I won it. I guess after 1998, if you had achieved all your dreams winning a, a premiership, this is something you couldn't have ever dreamed of, is winning a Brownlow medal. Yeah, that was unbelievable that night. It was so uh, tight. There was about 10 players, I think, within a couple of votes, and I never thought I'd be a Brownlow medalist. I dreamt of it as a kid, like you probably did, Sauce, yep. but you never think it's ever going to happen. And then... When it does, you sort of can't believe it. But, um, no, it was a great night. Um, yeah, it was a tough time because my cousin had just died uh, a few weeks before. So a lot of emotion. But, um, yeah, still still good to win it. And uh, uh, it's actually one of those things, like when you win a premiership, you love winning a premiership for what it does for the people and putting a Brownlow medal on a kid. They just – their eyes light up. They think it's uh, – pretty special so that's what I like doing with that medal. How much did it mean to your parents and your family obviously you spoke about the challenging time you were going through at that stage I guess mean to you know become a Brownlow medalist and you're so proud of where you come from I'm sure Wakery came alive as well. Yeah well it did and once again that's that's what you love about it how much it means to other people. Uh, Everyone went around to my mum and dad's place that night uh, at Wakery and uh, they had a big party and celebration and I think they got to bed about three o'clock that morning and (laughs) my old man uh, had to be on the tractor at six so um, hopefully the local policeman was going (laughs) to let him off anyway but he got on the tractor and I think he was that tired he was he was working at Matolo Spud Farms um, which are uh, the biggest spud growers in the southern hemisphere and his job that day was to what they call bank uh, potatoes, where you push dirt onto them. But he, he uh, must have been under the weather that much. He fell to sleep and uh, he was ripping the potatoes up and drove straight through a fence. So <laughs> <laughs> he had to put the tractor back in the shed and go home and have a rest that day. But um, no, it was a pretty special feeling. I think that night we had a big night in Melbourne and then we come back to Adelaide and had a big night at the Almer afterwards. So, yeah, it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good feeling. And winning it with... Adam Goods and Nathan Buckley was great as well. Like yep. They were good players at the time and Goodsy's been a great ambassador for the game and Bucks has been a, a legend of the game as well. So um, other than having to share people's dividends that they had a bet on me three, <laughs> three ways, uh, sharing it with two great footballers only enhanced it for me, didn't take anything away. The last one was 300 games. At that stage, you were the fastest to achieve it. 13 years and 83 days. It takes a durable and tough player to be able to get there and to do that at such a young age as well must have meant a bit. Yeah, well, that's genetics, isn't it? What you're born with, you know, your body and what it can handle and your parents and your upbringing have an impact on, I guess, your ability to play with injuries and and how fit you're prepared to be and what sacrifices you're prepared to make. So I was very lucky in, in terms of that. 300 games was um, something that, you know, you didn't worry about as a time looking back. You know, we're lucky to we've had four of them and plenty of good long-term players at the club. So it was a good achievement. Would I have loved another premiership being greedy as a captain? Absolutely. That was my dream for the last four or five years. You know, I share it with a few players. I had the, I had the word Voss on my bedroom mirror and people probably think, gee, what, you know, what did you, do you love Vossy, did you? And I said, well, I, I did idolise what he'd done being a triple premiership yeah. captain. 
And that's what my last goal was to be a premiership captain. And next to that word, Voss, I had uh, a poem called Man in the Glass. And I've told a couple of the young players today, it's a good thing to keep yourself accountable. It was the man in the glass is about if you can every day you can look at yourself in the mirror and look back into your own eyes and say, I oh, know I've done everything I could to be as good as I could, then you can look at the man in the glass. I think it's a great thing for footballers to get the best out of yourself because at the end of the day, you're only cheating yourself if you don't and you have to live with yourself afterwards, whether you've get, got the most out of yourself or whether you haven't. So it's a good little check for uh, for people to uh, to follow by and that's what I live by. And in the end, we didn't get that extra premiership in 05 and 06 and I thought we were a better side in 05 and 06 than we were in 97 and 98, but we, we weren't in the finals and that's when you have to be at your best. So I didn't have any regrets, Sauce, when I retired. I knew I'd given absolutely everything I could throughout my whole career. Take us back to growing up in the country. Growing up in the country uh, was uh, fantastic. At the time, you probably didn't realise how good it was um, because we'd have to work hard on the fruit property all the time. <laughs> we'd yep. uh, were like cheap labour for the old man, <laughs> me and my brother and my sister, but um, certainly toughened us up and made us appreciate everything we got. Um, and we'd get the few days off school if we had to stay home and pick tomatoes or pick watermelons or pick whatever was ready. But that uh, was a great lifestyle. We grew up on the banks of the Murray River, so I could get on the motorbike and yep. go fishing or yabbing or uh, anything like that. So very, very lucky, and, and sport was a massive part of it as well. Now, that would have played a big part in, I guess, shaping your ability to um, you know, have a work rate and ability to work hard as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually um, we did work hard. There was no choice. It was a small um, family property and when things were ready to be done on the property we had to do it so um you know from the the worst job of picking olives or something like that felt like forever to fill up a bucket to uh, throwing up buckets of grapes onto the uh, into the into the um, to bin or the uh, throwing up watermelons uh, you know uh, up to the old man it was it was hard work but um that's what you had to do you're you're like a little team on the fruit property just to survive so um yeah that was that was looking back unbelievable upbringing and um uh, but playing sport up in the country there's nothing better what uh, what number sibling were you, and were you, were you able to sort of tell them what to do, or were you the one getting pushed around? I was the last of three. I got beaten up regularly <laughs> uh, by my brother and uh, put into a place for my older sister. So uh, I was a little mistake down at the end, and um, just sort of uh, towed the line. But uh, my brother used to suck me in and, and tore me into a wrestle or an argument, and then when he was sick of me, he'd just finish me off <laughs> uh, along with the river mate you said playing playing for waker is one of your passions um you were able to debut and played a grade at 15 um i think you also won a premiership um before coming down to adelaide if i stand yeah that, that year we played that was in 1991 we've actually got our 30 year reunion coming up in uh, a few weeks so they hadn't won a flag for 17 years in a six-team comp source, so I learned yeah. a few things on that footy trip <laughs> at the age of uh, 16. I just turned 16 before the footy trip, and uh, off to Port Perry we went um, on the big footy trip. But, no, it was a great occasion to playing in a, in a grand final. I played with my brother, which was even better. 
And, um, you know, like all things, you look back at it now and, you um, you know, you realise how special it was for the community. No different to winning the flag at the Crows. Winning the flag for Waker, it was a big thing for the town. And, um, you know, it was a real highlight of my life. Probably the second best game I've ever played in behind the, um, the Crows Premiership. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a special day. I can tell how much the, the country lifestyle means to you. And one of your lifelong friends as well was, was someone that recruited you, Neil Curley. He came up and shared an A or two with the old man and watched you turn <laughs> one on. Yeah, I didn't know he was coming up to watch. It was the last minor round game of the year. And I was in the rooms getting ready for it. Uh, we were playing Mods' old team, Renmark at Wakerin. My best mate ran in and said, oh, Neil Curley's here to watch you. <laughs> And I said, oh, shit, okay, I better try a bit harder today. And my old man had saved a car park for him on the Oval. Yeah. And uh, recruiting was done a little bit differently in those days. Saucy rocked up with an esky full of beer um, and sat next to my old man and said to my dad, where's the, where's the boy playing? <laughs> and dad said, oh, I think they've got him lined up in the bloody Ford pocket, girls. And he said, I didn't come up here to watch a kid play the Ford pocket. <laughs> I want him on the ball. Um, but I kicked tens. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so sure they had a good day He well. was happy with that. He was half pissed and went to the uh, went back to Adelaide and said, oh, I think we better sign this kid up. You obviously yeah, really connected to, to the Wakery footy club and the lifestyle. Was it hard coming to Adelaide um, and you played for West Adelaide at 16? Did you miss, I guess, playing back home with your, your brother and, and your friends? Yeah, well, at the end of that year, so uh, West Adelaide signed me up and the Crows signed me up and uh, West Adelaide actually offered to, for me to come down and go to boarding school at Sacred yep. Heart, um, but I, I couldn't do that. I wasn't ready to leave home, so instead we did 52 trips to Adelaide <laughs> <laughs> the next year. So my old man had picked me up from school at about one o'clock. We'd drive down, train, drive back to uh, Wakery and, and then drive down on the weekend uh, pre-game play and then drive back that night. So it was a busy year, 400-kilometre round trip, knew every bump in the Sturt Highway. Um, and that was year 12 as well, so it was a pretty busy year. Um, did a bit of homework in the, in, the, in the passenger seat, but it was a great year, and to play under Neil Curley was something I'll never forget. I guess from the start, you, you came onto the scene pretty quickly. Um, even at, at Waker, you, you know, you're able to impact against the, the men in the A grade. In 1993, you played 19 games and got the Rising Star nominee. Um, and then as a 19-year-old, you're All-Australian after playing 21 games. So did that all happen really quickly? And were you prepared for what AFL footy was? Everything was happening quickly at that time. So I sort of played um, under-16s footy at Wakery in 1990, and then A-grade in 91, uh, Westies in 92, Crows in 93. So it was a quick quick uh, progression. I remember in the finals in 1993, that was a real opportunity that got away from us. We had to win the last game of the year just to get in the finals. Yeah. I still remember it at Footy Park um, playing against Collingwood and uh, we had the win to get in and we did win and we got in and um, and then we won our first final at Waverley um, against Hawthorne. We'd landed back at the um, Adelaide airport and we had the police come onto the plane. <laughs> And I thought, shit, what's Mods done? He's done something <laughs> wrong. Um, but we hadn't even had a chance to go out, so I knew he probably hadn't done anything. But uh, the policeman come on and said, look, we need your help. We fear for people's lives. Uh, 5,000 people have crammed into the old wow. Adelaide, Oval, Adelaide uh, Airport terminal and um, people were getting squashed. So we uh, had to squeeze through, get our bags off. Um, it was just pandemonium, really was. 
And then the next week we went back to Melbourne and uh, we played in the second semi-final against um, Carlton. We kicked eight goals, 22, wow. and lost. Um, as you should if you kicked eight goals, 22. <laughs> but we should have won that game. We didn't yep. come back for the uh, prelim final. We actually had to get off the plane at a different tarmac because wow. they were worried about the week before. Yep. Uh, so in the prelim, we were seven goals up in the prelim and managed to lose that game. So we should have went straight through and played Carlton. We didn't and we lost. But I remember as a 17-year-old thinking, we'll be right, we'll come back next year. Yep. Um, and next year, we didn't even make the finals. The coach got sacked and um, we started a run of three years without finals. So... A little lesson there for everyone. Just because you make finals one year doesn't mean you're going to get better and make it the next. So, um, yeah, things did happen pretty quick. Was that was that your real introduction, I guess, to finding out how much footy is loved in, in our state? We're very fortunate here that we are a footy-mad population, and I guess that's a good showing. You'd only been in the in the competition for two or three years, and there's already fans rocking up to greet you coming back from Melbourne. I don't think Adelaide or South Australia knew what... Um, AFL football was for the state at that time. For me, I was just a bright-eyed kid from the bush and I was just running with the flow of what was going on from week to week. Certainly, um, South Australia and Adelaide was changing and developing and and everyone was just going along with it. But, uh, look, throughout the whole career, you just continually got surprised at what football meant for people, whether it was uh, 70-year-old grandmas and grandpas or seven-year-old kids uh, that were looking up to their idols. It was an amazing feeling and one that I never took for granted uh, coming from the background that I come from. And one of the, you know, you look back after football and you go, yeah, the best thing about football was not the premierships you won, but um, the impact you could have on your supporters and members. People sometimes assume because, you know, you're big and strong and you had such a successful career that it comes easy. I've spoken to, to Mark Bickley, premiership captain, about, you know, how understated it is, how hard you worked. You know, you're a per- powerful athlete. I guess you're probably the first of the hybrid midfielder that played midfield then was able to go forward. Take us back to your preparation and, and I guess what you did to go over and above to, to make your game better. Once again, I, I must have been born with this, but I can still remember as a eight-year-old kid or whatever I was, I can still remember going to, and this might make you laugh, but yeah. I remember going to grab a yo-yo. I used to love yo-yo biscuits. <laughs> we weren't we eat anything. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going to grab yo-yos and my conscience telling me, don't eat wow. that. You yep. might be, it might be the difference in winning a Brownlow medal. I can still picture it right yep. now yep. at the age of 45. And the whole way through my career, still listen to my conscience. Uh, sometimes that's uh, most of the time that's a bad thing. <laughs> but I, I'd train like that. And I, if I didn't train, I'd be filthy on myself. Or when I did train... I'd train like an animal and I I used to run till I spewed. I'd get off a houseboat on on my uh, trips at Christmas time and and run. Um, I'd run on the bitumen back at Wakery. We'd train in the off-season. We'd have, um, you know, when we started to get really professional from about 96 onwards, um, we'd have two weeks off the last game and we'd train for those six weeks and we'd train really, really hard. So... 
Yeah, I always doubted myself, Source, uh, right through to the end. Even though you have success along the way, you're always worried about, am I good enough? Have I still got the speed? Can I still get a kick? Am I past it? So um, whether you're me or whether whoever else, I've spoken to other good players and they always doubt themselves as well. So, uh, yeah, for anyone out there listening who loves footy, there's no substitute for hard training. The other thing you're admired for, Rue, is your, your passion for the club. Obviously, I'm very fortunate to, to work with you closely around the club and you know your relationship and your respect for the club staff, sponsors, and you always speak about how important they were in your career, I reckon, is something that you know people can take a lot of admiration from. So do you want to talk about how much it meant to you, whether it was the boot starter, whether it was the coach? You, know, you, you treat everyone the same and, and you give everyone the respect. Yep, there's no doubt about that. That's just another product the way you brought up, I think. My nunnel uh, used to wave to everyone at Wakery, um, <laughs> and he used to, um, when he'd go to church or whatever, he'd have his boot full of fruit and veggies, and he'd give them whatever excess he'd have. He'd, he'd give that away, and that definitely got passed on to me, you know, through my dad. I remember when, you know, he would come down to uh, watch me play, he'd bring a bootload of whatever fruit was available and he'd bring it down to footy park here i still remember the faces of julie cunningham and pauline biglands behind like he'd have bags of oranges and he'd have watermelons and uh, pumpkins and i don't know what they thought because they'd probably never seen that amount of fruit but we'd bring it down they'd share it at the club and you know that's sort of just what we did that's just how we grew up being generous and, and helping others and you know what footy clubs are like in the country that's what they survive on everyone chipping in and doing their bit at Wakery we'd have cars around the oval tooting then you're playing at footy park you'd have 50,000 people yeah. there I just I just love the fact that we had so many supporters and how passionate they were so I don't remember McLeod and myself always staying behind at signing sessions or clinics uh, and it might take an hour to get through the lineup, but we'd stay until everyone got what they wanted. Not because we were told to do it, because we wanted to make all the kids happy. And I respect, always respected sponsors for what they put into the club, because I understand, you know, the value of the dollar and, the, you know, a club can't survive without their sponsors. So that was ingrained in, in me early as well. So transition to past playing and being on the board nothing nothing's different I'm you know I love the club I just want I want our supporters to win another premiership it's been far too long between drinks uh, 05 06 we missed out 2012 we missed out 2017 we missed out and um, you know there's a lot of people getting on in their lives that we would love nothing more than to win a premiership before they go to a, another place so uh, that's why I'm on the board and that's why I'm I want to do anything I can do to help the current team and the current coaches win a flag. I know we're in the right direction. We've made some really tough calls the last few years. They've been very hard on individuals and um, hopefully um, in a couple of years they'll look back and understand why we made them and hopefully win a flag in the not-too-distant future. The way you speak, you're very connected to not only Wakery and the Crows and supporters. How does it sit with you you're an eight-time All-Australian Tours captain. The other eight-time All-Australians are Gary Ablett Jr., Patrick Dangerfield, Lance Franklin, Robert Harvey, Paul Ruse is a seven-time. 
How does it sit with you being a country boy to be up there with the greats? Yeah, it's well, you don't. Even, I don't really think about that stuff until it gets read out. But they're good names to be alongside of, other than Patrick Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Danger. We I just do. wish he won eight at Adelaide, um, and then we would have won another premiership probably. Yep. But um, Danger probably knows that uh, as well. But no, look, I I just pinch myself that I had a lucky career, and you know use it as motivation for other kids from the country. I love the fact that we've got some good SA kids on our team at the moment. And uh, uh, I remember Harry Schomburg's dad coming up and introducing himself. He just reminded me of my old man, you know, just a country bumpkin yep. having a beer at the foot. <laughs> and I just had to have a laugh. And I just hope that, you know, we got good SA kids striving to play for the Crows and, you know, uh, or to a lesser extent, Port Adelaide, you know, like I'm, I'm a, fiercely loyal crow but you know also respect port adelaide and love the fact that uh, they've got south australian kids there as well and I, you know part of me loves any kid playing at any football club and the pathway that they can have and the success that they can have is good for all communities and towns throughout australia just to finish up Rue, who are who are your biggest influences i think being a country kid myself you know you're always someone i admired growing up with how you carried yourself. And I think that legacy has really continued now with the culture we got at the club. Who are the people that you looked up to and you admired from afar? Apart from mum and dad, who uh, did everything for me and gave me every opportunity. Uh, my old man couldn't do that. He was he has one of six kids. He had five sisters and he had no choice but to stay at home and work on the fruit property. So he uh, couldn't come down and play uh, SNFL football, even though he had a op- couple of opportunities. So love the mum and dad and what they did. Neil Curley gave me um, an opportunity and sort of gave me, a, you know, was you know, I'm still mates with Curls right now and he's in his uh, um, mid to late 80s and still got a great relationship with Curls. Russell Ebert was um, a Till Cup coach and um, bit of a, gave me a bit of a hand along the way. Peter Hurley has been a close friend for early days at the, Clo- at the Crows and, you know, I sourced him out for a bit of help trying to um, turn some money that I made out of football into business to shore up my future and we've had a great relationship. He's been my sort of uh, business mentor. Malcolm Blight has been the best coach I've ever had, the best football person. Neil Craig's been unbelievable um, as a developer of men and to teach me how to push my body to a, a level that never thought it could be pushed before. Probably, in, you know, that probably cost me the 97 premiership, but won me the 98 premiership and will teach me lessons for that I'll have for my whole life. Cornsey was an unbelievable coach as well. I mean, he could have been a premiership coach in year mm. three of the club. And I rate Cornsey very, very highly. He was very unlucky not to win a premiership, but he's a great fellow. He, he was, he's a hard nut, Cornsey. I mean, we train super hard under him. You know, everyone thinks Blighty's a tough bugger and he is but Cornsey's not far <laughs> behind him um so I was lucky that I was um being exposed to people like Curls, Cornsey, Craigie, Blighty and all other people along the way as well you can talk about uh, other people underneath him they all played their role so very very lucky to be exposed to the, that quality of people and you can throw Bob Hammond and those sort of people into that uh, conversation as well. Rui, you got unparalleled passion for the club. Thanks very much for joining us, and we really appreciate the chat. Thanks for being in my uh, first podcast too, Source. The Adelaide Crows History Locker podcast is hosted by Sam Jacobs, produced by Emily Brand. Additional audio thanks to Channel 7, Fox Footy, and the Adelaide Football Club.